welcome to What Is It About the Weather, a podcast where we explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek. Hope you're having a good weather season. Finally got a little bit of snow here. Really, it is my first year. I was laughing because it was kind of ironic that like last week, parts of the southern U.S. got some snow, you know, down where I lived for many years. It may be not right where I was, but in the vicinity, close enough that I would have said it could have happened where I was, and I hadn't seen any this year yet. But the funnier part, or the ironic part, is the snow that we got up here would be what I would call Georgia snow, which is if we had this kind of snow in Georgia, everything would be off the shelves. No milk, no bread, schools are closed. But in a year like this, I don't know how unusual that is. Nonetheless, it was nice to have some. It was pleasant. I was able to get out and walk in it a little bit, spend a little bit of time outside. But, you know, I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed kind of that white stuff blowing around in the air. And I know a lot of people don't like it. A lot of people are not winter fans. But, yeah, it's good for me. Today, sunny. We get have south-facing windows where I am, which this time of year is really good. Because you, you really can, I can go without the heat being on all day long. And as long as you got enough blankets in bed, you pretty much go many nights without turning on, being on a higher floor. But I can tell you in summertime, whew, it's not a good thing. But, you know, sun angles down more, so we get a lot, a lot of good heat. So I'm thankful for that. See, I'm thankful again, too. Well, let's not sit here and talk about my weather all day. That won't do anybody any good. It w- You know, I, I do like to share with you guys different aspects of just podcasting in general. And I remember back when I first started listening to podcasts in like 2007, 2000, it's a very new thing, right? They were hard to find. It was back in the day when I was downloading it to an iPod and it was tricky. I mean, you had to find the feed and, you know, hopefully you subscribe to it that Apple had something in there, but it was, it was complicated. Now, when I got into podcasting, there was finally this, it was around the time when there were more services, I guess, gearing themselves towards podcasters. And and as I continued to podcast, I kept watching this happen more and more. Now that it's, they're just everywhere. And so I, I usually get a couple emails every week with somebody trying to provide some sort of service and tell me, you know, and it can be anything, right? It can be people trying to get me to interview their person, right? We're making, you know, so-and-so-and-so available for this and we'll give you a free article or a free book or whatever it is. And it's got nothing to do with, you know, they just, they found a directory somewhere and are just blanket sending stuff to me. But the funnier one I got recently was this person trying to promote kind of like doing, you know, search engine optimization for you on Google. These people were trying to, you know, going to promote your podcast. And they're like, you're ranking high in Pakistan. And I'm looking at myself, it's like, why do I care whether people in Pakistan are listening to my podcast or not? It's great. It's great that I'm ranking well in my category, whatever category that is, that they felt that they could send it to me. I guess when I start getting a lot of patrons uh, connecting to me from Pakistan, I'll worry about that. I don't, I don't think I have that problem yet. But again, I'm always glad to know that I've got a worldwide audience, right? It's kind of, again, that's kind of the neat thing about podcasting is we have this opportunity to connect with folks all over the globe. And that's why I like to cover stuff all over the globe. And some of the things we're going to talk about today fit in that category. But before I get there, as many of you know, a few years ago, podcasters finally got connected with the Weather Ready Nation. And this is something you know that's done in conjunction with NOAA. It's, it's an outreach program, right? It's an opportunity for people that have 
I guess, a connection with end users of weather products to, you know, provide them some, some safety stuff and some information, but it's, it's winter season. And so they send us these things every season. And I haven't been necessarily always promoting that this year since, since the podcast came back, but I thought I'd take a moment and just remind everybody, I will put a link in the show notes, but there's always some interesting stuff in there. What I tell people about winter season, and I've lived in winter climates, you know, from no winter at all, essentially to, you know, lake effect snow kind of weather where we had lots and lots of snow every year. So I've seen the gamut of possibilities of what you have to deal with. But I always like to remind people this time of year, it's, you know, just take a moment, take stock and go, okay, if my car were to break down in the worst conditions possible that I'm, you know, that we see around wherever I live, what would I want my car? And just make sure you have it. But one of the things they suggested, which was kind of funny, was they were talking about ice storms, which a lot of people don't have experience with. Now, that was kind of my first realm into winter weather. And I've even, I think I even mentioned that in the first episode way back in episode one, that horrible sounding quality podcast. But nonetheless, that was where my fascination began was this winter wonderland around an ice storm. But one of the things they pointed out was... People that live in areas that tend to get winter weather, a lot of times they'll raise their windshield wiper so that they don't get frozen to the window. But if you're getting an ice storm, they tell you to do, don't do that. The reason being is that those windshield wipers can get coated in ice and then they're going to be no use to you at all. So I thought that was kind of an interesting reminder. And it, again, it, it prompted me to say, Hey, go check this stuff out. Like I said, it'll be in the show notes and I may mention some other stuff again throughout the year. All right. Now, Let's get to this week's episode. It, it's holiday season, right? I don't care whether you're celebrating Hanukkah or Christmas or it doesn't matter, right? You, you could be celebrating nothing. It, we tend to give gifts this time of year, no matter what the culture is. There's a lot of gift giving around the end of the year, particularly around Christmas and Hanukkah. But globally, even in areas that don't celebrate that, we, we tend to see these things from time to time. Sorry about the horns in the background there. I took a quick break. Hopefully they're done what was ever going on outside there. But again, that's also part of the holiday season. Lots of horns and not always helpful. In any case, we, we get a lot of things, right? Whether it's clothes. No one likes to get clothes. A lot of people do like to get clothes. Whether it's a new electronic device, whether it's yeah, different food things, fruitcake, whatever it might be, your seasonal favorites. But all these things are made, right? There's a process of getting it from point A to point B. So how does weather, you know, I, want, I want to take a moment and say, how does weather impact the goods we consume and use, right? Now, when we think about manufacturing, right, and where manufacturing has gone from to, think back even before electricity, right? Let, let's go back. Now, manufacturing existed even then because we had things like steam power and, and other ways of, doing things, but back in the day, before electricity was really common, so really pre-industrial age. Now, we may have had, you know, wind and water and, like I said, steam to, to drive things, but, you know, factories had big windows or, or a lot of things. That was the goal, was to bring in natural light. But everything was a little more exposed at then, right? We had these environments that weren't well-sealed, so how light got to us, how the temperature was kept at a certain level, 
whether it be really cold or hot, or just trying to keep it in something reasonable. And even then again, like things like humidity, right? How, how do we keep humidity from influencing things like that? So back in the day, it wasn't easy, right? There were a lot of things that by today's standards, we just couldn't make easily because these things would have been introduced. But electricity really was the thing that kind of changed that, right? Particularly when it became reliable, you know, early days. Yeah, it was kind of a neat thing. And, and again, lighting may have been the first thing that was kind of important, which you couldn't always count on, but as it became more dependable, we saw the shift probably electricity. And then I want to say climate control there. We can call it air conditioning if you want to, but it, whether it's winter or summer, having the ability to control those things, right? Light whenever we needed it and being able to regulate the temperature and the level of humidity changed everything. So essentially taking and creating internal weather the way we wanted to. Okay. And you know, as an example, humidity, we talk about it all the time. I mean, we think about it with food. I, we did the kitchen episode, right? But anywhere where they do things with food, and, and this was one of the things that got me thinking about this episode. And anyway, so when I was younger, I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I worked at a Coca-Cola bottling plant, right? And no, I didn't have one of the neat jobs. It was a summer job, and there's no doubt about it. But I was given a particular responsibility because I seemed to understand how to get the box machine to work properly. Now, the box machine, the tricky part of it was the glue, right? This glue would be melted and it would do the sides. And, you know, again, back when these things were being put together, it's two liter bottles. That was kind of the big focus back then. And these bottles were put in these big kind of cardboard containers. They would never do that today. They wouldn't spend, expend that much cardboard on anything. But we would have this problem that the glue would get messed up. And so you're kind of constantly dealing with the glue and whether it was sticking to the machine as opposed to the box. And one of the things I realized in this process was because this was kind of, I was in the, the borderline, if you will, the, where the bottles came out. So there was another room where all the sealing was done and all the fancy machines that faced the road even were bottling everything up and it was all well climate controlled in my area was fine. But because I was in that transition zone between where it was in the final process and where it went to the warehouse, there was outdoor air coming and going quite a bit of it, you know, forklifts driving around doing that thing, putting things on trucks, that sort of stuff. And so we had a little more of a climate influence, a little more of that component because we weren't in the, the sealing part of it. By the time everything got to where I was, everything was, you know, it was sealed up and it was just getting it packaged and ready to go. But I noticed that humidity was influencing how the glue worked effectively in putting that box together, whether it stuck to the box or stuck more to the machine. And, you know, when I needed to be more attuned, because there was, there was a limited amount I could really do to change that. It just meant where I was going to need to expend more time and how I might work that process. So when we're dealing with these things, it can be as simple as that, right? That, this is an example of how humidity you, know, you wouldn't think about it. You know, talk about it with food. It's kind of obvious. Or you might even talk about certain things that stick together when they're more humid. 
but who would have thunk it with this? Right now, I can imagine if it were ultra, ultra humid, and that's not what we got. I mean, I, I, I wasn't in an air-conditioned environment. There was just a change of things as, as things were coming to go from the warehouse. But it was enough to influence, or so it seemed. I mean, that was my theory at the time, and I could have been completely wrong. How these goods were getting from point A to point B. And, you know, temperature, as you can imagine, same sort of thing. And, and there have been multiple studies, and we've talked about some of this before, that temperature ranges, having a range that's set, is important not just for the products that you may be producing, but for the workers as well, right? So when we, there, there's always going to be those obvious things. The bottling plant's not an obvious one, or static electricity being another one. There's certain, you know, it's not as big a deal as it used to be when I used to work a lot more in computer component stuff, right? When they used to do more, everybody used to kind of be more build your own computer stuff. You used to get these static mats and you did everything on static mats because you didn't want static electricity to impact the parts. Not as big a deal as it used to be, but it wasn't necessarily an aha thing if you weren't used to making sure there was no static electricity going around. But again, that's kind of a weather related thing as we've talked about before. So how we manufacture goods, right, has become more and more complex over time. Used to be pretty straightforward, right? All this stuff came to one place, was put together, and that good was set on its way. Now we tend to have step process because individual pieces might be built. You may have something. I was putting a battery in a clock the other day on the wall, and I realized myself the only part, there's this one part that comes from one place that probably makes all the clock little ones that runs on a double a battery probably for the whole globe right there's probably one factory that does that but they get sent everywhere and they're mishmashed together and they may be assembled in the same country or a whole different country but we have all these things going on and it's really becomes a very complex supply chain issue so back when i was doing my undergrad they something was being it was revolutionary at the time it's called just-in-time manufacturing right so this was how many ever years ago now? I don't even. I don't want to say out loud how many years ago I was an undergrad, but okay. Context: floppy disks were still in computers, and yes, there were three and a half inch floppies coming about, but it was still five and a quarter. True floppy disk. We're, we're still kind of running around college at the time. But now everything is kind of just in time. That 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 just became synonymous. You, you know, used to be like I was saying, you would get these big shipments of goods. You may have you know certain supplies that you had sitting in a warehouse for a very long time. People just don't do that as much anymore. You tend not to warehouse goods as much. But also, when you think about bigger things, and I, I saw some stories about this with cars, right? Cars are a very complex thing. You've got all these things coming to a plant. Things are assembled. But the weather on the other end, the buying end, is equally as important. Because if people can't get to where they're buying cars, then there's this backup in the process, and that goes all the way to the manufacturing process. So you may have a car built in a certain location, and it could be another country gets on a ship, goes to a port, but that port's got to have somewhere to put the cars, and maybe you've seen that before. There are ports that have, they unload these cars and have them in huge quantities, and then they get loaded on trains or, you know, car carriers, depends where they're going. A lot of times it's trained from, you know, for the first step, and then in a dealership or maybe to a final location, whatever it might be. But that process, in the middle somewhere that car was made, and all those same components felt 
work through that same process to get to them. And if somewhere you can't get enough of those cars out of the way because, you know, they forecast, they're trying to, you know, guess how many they're going to have, then it backs up the whole manufacturing process. But you can also have the challenge of getting the parts to you. So weather really starts to, you can just imagine how it impacts everything in that whole supply chain from the very raw materials. I mean, you think about whether it's an agricultural-based product or a raw material, like Chile lived there many years, 25 to 30% of the world's copper comes out of just a few mines in Chile. Now, thankfully, those areas tend to be very dry. But when it rains, it makes a mess because they're not used to that, right? It's not an area that's set up to deal with rain, and it makes the process very difficult for a period of time. Then we talk about the shipping just a few minutes ago. I mean, just just think about a hurricane blows through a port area or a winter storm blows through getting stuff out of a manufacturing facility. Or just think about any of the the piece materials go along the way. Severe weather knocks out power. I read a a thing, and I'll put a link in this one. I, I thought was very interesting in the show notes that one hour of electricity outage that's unknown, right? That's that they that you can't plan for, is more detrimental to many manufacturing business than a year's worth of, for instance, environmental regulations that you have to adhere to. Reason being. No one, you know, likes to have to change your business for different regulations. We do it, and, and it makes sense a lot of times. But you can plan on that. You know, you get some lead-in time that it's coming. You build around it. You change your operation around it. But you, you've got a process that you can walk through. Unreliable power or unexpected power outages have, can have this cascading effect. You've got everybody at the plant. There's no power to do anything. How long is the outage going to last? Is there anything else they can do? But a lot of times you, you just don't know. And so you are finding more businesses have these contingency things. What to do if, if step A is not available? I mean, maybe you do take the time to do some other things that you're not always able to do. But a power outage, what are you going to do? Right? So... Even the reliability of the electricity grid becomes very important. And as we all know, those things are very susceptible to severe weather. So the whole process of manufacturing things, yeah, maybe maybe the sensitivity, unlike when I brought up in the beginning, you know, back in the day, it was how do I keep this building weather contained enough to make whatever I need to make effectively and without, you know, being too hot, too cold too wet, too dry, whatever it is, to where now probably the bigger influence is we have these supply chains that stretch around the globe from the very raw materials. Again, may take copper, right? That copper may be made in Chile. It may go all the way to China or Vietnam or somewhere else in in Asia Pacific and a a circuit board's made. And that circuit board may come back to the U.S. or Europe or somewhere else and be put into another component for final assembly. Just depends on what's being made. And so when you think about all the complexity about that and all the, you know, and again, shipping is, it is boats, it is trains, it is road, and all the things that can go wrong, you start to realize how important it is. And I'm going to, I am going to put a link in the show notes. I found a, I guess a good summary every now and then. I don't like to promote necessarily individual companies. There's a, there's a lot of them that participate in providing commercial-based weather products or weather solutions. And I put a link into one. I'm not going to even mention the name, but you can go look at it. It kind of over, it gives you an overview, a way to think about what people deal with 
when they're trying to plan to minimize impacts from raw material to final good getting to us. Yeah, we, we love to think about this little thing that Amazon or UPS or FedEx or whoever delivered to us today, right? This thing we got, we been waiting for. But everywhere along the way, somehow weather data or weather forecast influence getting that to you as quickly as it could. All right? So how does this, where do we go from here? You know, because the manufacturing, as I said, that whole thing that was kind of coming of age when, when I was younger, it's kind of just expected now. But how is that going to change when we get more into robotics and more robots doing the manufacturing process? Or, as we've talked about a little bit, but and we don't get into much, but just climate change in general and get off the what the cause of climate change is. But climate's always changing and being able to see and understand how climate change is going to impact the process, excuse me there, not infect anybody, going to impact the process, gives us a chance to theoretically plan. So the more we can understand about that, that's why understanding climate and what it's going to be like is also important, just in a raw scientific sense. Because we got to be able to deal with whatever is coming, and the more we can get our hands around that, and our heads around that, the better it is for things like manufacturing and supply chain and getting us the things we want. But, you know, I mentioned the robotic things. I mean, in theory, we could see this shift, you know, here in the U.S. as an example. Factories were built in the kind of the northern tier states for many, many years. And a lot of that was it was just too hot in the south. Again, air conditioning came and you could change all that. But now we may see a shift to the north again because with robotics, you're going to have a lot of heat. You want to keep those things cool. And you, the easier it is to do that without expending energy, the better. Data centers that are going into the ocean because you, it controls the temperature better. All these things. Just kind of weird to think about how weather will influence. But the, you know, the more north you go, the more likely you got to deal with winter weather and getting products out of a, a cold factory may not work. But, you know, can you imagine all of a sudden if manufacturing hub went to the middle of Canada because it was just cooler there as a rule of thumb and the robots don't overheat or the computers don't overheat? I, you know, all these are possibilities. But how the weather plays a role and how the climate plays a role will dictate some of that as we go forward for sure. I don't know. I just, this time of year, we're, we're getting a lot of stuff, right? We're all getting a lot of stuff. This is a reminder to me of, if I take anything, I like to just kind of sit down and imagine, I know, I'm a weird guy, the role weather may have played between when things were dug out of the earth or recycled and that thing getting in my hand. I don't know. I hope you found it interesting as well. Just just kind of a neat thing I I like to think of this time of year that hits me more this time of year, I guess, than other times of year. All right. Now, before I let you go, <laughs> weather manufacturing. So I was, I was trying to just do some Google searches. Well, manu weather manufacturing will give is a search that will get you, get you into weather weapons again. So it had nothing to do with it. It was just kind of one of those funny things. Next time, I think I'm going to try to get to the words we use around weather. I mentioned, I may have mentioned in the podcast, I can't remember for sure. I know I tweeted about it, about a paper 
It came out about words. And we've talked about communication before, but it was kind of an interesting study that I think will be something we try to cover next time. Let me know if you got show ideas, if you've got any thoughts about the topic today or just want to touch base in general, you know how you can get us. What is it about the weather at gmail.com? What is it about weather on Twitter? You can find me, Mark underscore Jelonic, on Twitter as well. Love to hear from you. Always this time of year is a great time to get feedback as I'm thinking about the new year and, and what might come or change or go or etc. But in the meantime, I hope you're getting some good goodies this year. I hope you're enjoying the holiday season. Uh, for those of you who like holiday music, I'm sure you're getting a dose of it. Hopefully, with this kind of year we've had, there are at least been some moments where you can escape, calm down, enjoy it. And if you like snow, I hope you're getting some. If you like hot weather, I hope you're getting some. May, may your gift be the type of weather you enjoy. But maybe in the moment when you're getting something that's not weather, take a moment, think about it and go, huh, wonder how influenced that was by the weather and, and how it might be the product going forward. I mean, manufacturing and supply chain, all that's great, but just think about the product after you got it and how the weather is going to impact it after the fact. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. <laughs>